road taken? And now it really is Steve Dorff. It's not me screwing around because there's a Dodger game. It's game seven of the World Series, and I think they're still losing. They, I, they were when I was in my car. Like two minutes ago, mm -hmm. because it took Steve about two hours to get here. From uh, where were you coming? Two and a half. Two and a half! Calabasas. I, um, I could have flown to Cabo. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, 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 but you're here, and you, with good purpose, because Steve's book, I wrote that one too, um, a life in songwriting from Willie to Whitney dropped yesterday. So this is really exciting that you're here today. And I just got it late last night and had women who write. So, but I was like ferociously, as soon as you leave, I'm going cover to cover. I was oh, loving cool. it. Oh, thanks. Before we get into about the book, though, usually I want to introduce Louise Plank. Louise, come on in here. Come on in. Louise is, um, here's Louise Plank. And I didn't even get to introduce you to Louise. This is Steve Dorf. How are you? So Louise started Premier Radio. So I'm sure that you guys had... Like you were playing Steve's music, I'm, I'm well, guessing. Not, we didn't play music. Oh, you didn't play any music. All talk? It's radio syndication. We just send stuff out to radio stations. Oh, okay. Shall we? See, I don't know how... I'm a girl. I'm, I'm, I'm having a blonde moment. But anyway, Louise also made the documentary on the Cowsills, Family Band. Oh, wow. Yes. And so your music, you have music things in common. Mm -hmm. So... I feel like you're not comfortable. There's stools over there. Yeah, I was going to say, um, you're just going to... Yeah. No, I'm just here to make you oh, feel okay. uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm lurking. So, what I wanted to talk about before we get to, to get into Steve's thing, because normally we would have an opening. We, we normally have a studio and people and cameras, right. and this is craziness that we're doing this. Mm -hmm. But it's because continuity is important. We have to keep... And, and you have a book to promote. And, we, and, and this isn't really a show about promotion. I didn't even really talk to you about it, but we are going to talk about it because this is your story. Yes, it is. And your story is what The Road Taken is about. It's about how you started out and you banging your head in the crib. I was just reading that. Yeah, yeah like, I want to know about that. And I want to know, we want to know how you got from that little baby banging your head in the crib to this guy who's had over 40 BMI awards and 11 Billboard number ones and I'm going to get this wrong, six... Emmy nominations, three Grammy nominations. Did I get that right? All right, see, whoop. And um, and and I was I wanted to play your song, but you know if I play it with the way we have it rigged, it's gonna sound rinky dinky. But right. oh my god, I've been listening to your music, and my favorite. Um, it looks like we're not gonna do the the opening I was planning, but we are in a way. My favorite thing that I didn't know was yours was that song from Tin Cup. This that, could take all night. Oh my god, I love. I love that song. Oh, love that song. I had no. I had. I watched this little, not so little, a seven minute and change video of yours that has like slices of all your your songs, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. and it's just one after the other after the other. Television show, TV show, uh, a TV show, movie, hit song for Kenny Rogers, hit song for the, you know, just hit, 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 and so much music in between on on, in films that. You know, a lot of us out there are not aware that right. somebody's home writing that stuff. Right. Yeah. And well, that's kind of the that's kind of the gist of the book. That's the arc of the book is the uh, that anonymous um, behind the curtain person that writes the soundtrack of people's lives, and nobody knows who we are. 
Which is great. I mean, a lot of people do know who you are because I go to your Facebook and you have 5,000 people. In fact, I'm, I'm going, right? You <laughs> well, have... they're, music, they're music fans or, or people. But I, I mean, the, the general person, I think, uh, the, norm, the average person thinks that um, the face of the song, who is mm -hmm. the artist that made the song famous, right. they just assume that they created the song. They don't really know that there are songwriters that other than you know the the Billy Joel's and the Elton John's and the Lennon and McCartney's that are that are household names because mm -hmm. they're the artists and mm -hmm. the face of their songs um, there are people like me and Jerry Goffin and Jimmy Webb and uh, uh, we I just we had Judd Friedman and, and, yeah, and Judd Alan Richard and, yeah. and nobody you know yeah. I mean the, for all they know we run a a delicatessen or, or a, a CPA firm, you know. Um, yeah, so it's uh, it's cool to. So now you're gonna, but now you're gonna put a face to yourself, right? Um, because now you're gonna go out on a book tour and you're gonna do all of that, and so yeah. you're gonna be on talk show. I saw you already did Larry King. I did. And uh, you're you're out on the road taken, and and there will be tens of. Of tens of no, there can be the hundreds and, and maybe what? Like Ty Babylonia? Is she watching right now? Ty's no. watching right now. Do you know Ty? I don't. Ty, um, I know who she is. Yeah, you know yeah, who she is. Great. And and Penny. And Penny. As a matter of fact, Ty Babylonia. Ty, I always have to say Ty Babylonia because that's how they used to say it. It's going to be um, our guest next week. Um, but anyway, so we're so now you get to put a face to this music that people just assume um, mm -hmm. Kenny wrote or Whitney did or whatever and um, and so that's gonna up your your whole deal I, I'm assuming so so let's yeah I don't know yeah I think that's, it probably will probably. because you haven't done a lot of have you done a lot of no no not at all I, I was a studio rat my whole career um, Behind the scenes, writing, arranging, producing. I saw some videos though. There, there are times you've gone out and you've played your own music. Yeah, about about actually three years ago, I started at the urging of some friends and my son. I I, uh, uh, I decided to go out and um, sit behind the piano, which is where I started, mm -hmm. and um, tell the stories and and play the songs and and sing them, kind of. You did pretty damn good. And as a matter some songs like really well. Like a couple songs I wasn't sure it was you. I thought it was the artist singing them. Okay. Yeah, I had to go look. Well, I, I try to copy him as best as I can. But no, I, I um and that's how the book came to be. I, I was doing a, a show and uh, after one of my shows uh, a woman and her husband came up and, and uh, she said, God, I love your stories. Um, you don't sing that great, but you should, you should write a you should write a book. And I said, Write a book? I said I'm too young to write a book, right? <laughs> hey, and, I wrote a book. And and uh, and also, I have enough trouble writing a three-minute song. So how am I going to write gonna, a book? All right, we're going to talk about how you yeah. do that, but not yet. Okay, so so you decided to do it. And how, how was that experience, though, when you were out playing your songs and doing that? Nerve-wracking, but fun. And, and Because the, the genesis of it was to kind of educate people that uh, when they go, oh yeah, you're playing that Kenny Rogers song. Well, no, it's not really a Kenny Rogers song. It's it's a Steve Dork, Marty Panzer song, but Kenny recorded it and made it famous. And there's that distinction that 
not many people really get until they see the writer performing their own stuff. Their own right. Stuff. And I was just saying, I saw Jimmy Webb in, in Pasadena over the summer, and you know, Jimmy Webb hit, hit after hit after hit, and everybody goes wild. And But you know, there comes a certain point. He's really, I mean, I, I've seen Jimmy perform innumerable times. He's always been a performer. Yes. But it's time, well, anyway, yeah. <laughs> It, it, it's changed over the years. When I saw him at Carnegie Hall, there were still times when we sat there and went, but, but for the <laughs> most part, it was really fantastic. It's, it's about the song. It's about the song. Yeah. P.F. Sloan, uh, one of his last shows, was in my living room uh, yeah. before he passed. And, you know, to hear P.F. sing his songs, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but, well, but P.F.'s a little different because P.F. sang. He could sing. And he really sang a lot of the stuff that we think Peter and Gordon and all those people were singing, but it was actually P.F. singing and the whole skeleton wow. crew and all of that stuff. But yeah, he, he really could sing his stuff. But Eve of Destruction, I had a fight online with somebody who was insisting that it was, what, what's the guy's name? Barry McGuire. That it was a Barry McGuire song. And I was like, no, <laughs> right. P.F. Sloan wrote that song. Well, there you go. But, and, but, and I think through, uh, there have been generations of songwriters. I mean, if I asked you who wrote Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, would you know? No, that came up. That came up a couple weeks ago when Judd was here. And yeah. no, I don't. Yeah. I don't know. And, and well, yeah, Judd's got that. that but they didn't cool know. Website. They couldn't remember no, either. No, nobody knows. And, yeah. You know, some of the most famous songs of all time. Nobody knows who wrote them. And um, that's terrible. Yeah. But uh, so so hopefully we'll change. So it. yeah. So now the the internet and uh, and Facebook and things like this give voice to a lot of information and people that we wouldn't have had before. Right. So I, I think there's a possibility for things to change. And, and yes, uh, Judd's website, um, Quack. Quack, which uh, for those of you who don't know, it Giving takes you songwriters. Giving you a plug, Judd. But you can hear beat cuts of st anything you want right. to put on there of yours and educate people to your music the cuts that you want them to hear, even you performing them, which is exciting. Well, yeah, what I say is, um, you know, most of our catalogs, most songwriters' catalogs are, are kind of, I liken, I liken it to an iceberg. Um, you only see 15% mm -hmm. of the iceberg sticking above the water and 85%'s underwater. And the truth is 85% of the songs that I've written probably will never be heard. And, oh, I, and, that is just and not I think, good. And I think it's true of the Jimmy Webbs and and the, sure, you know, and all the great composers. Um, uh, it, it's just so hard. What people don't understand is how hard it is to have a hit, and uh, and how long it takes, and um, how political it is. Is it political? Sometimes, mm -hmm. depending on the artist and the producer, but um, it just. It just takes time. It's like getting movies made. You oh. know how long it takes to get a movie made or a show on... on I had a show uh, option, forget it. And yeah. it's still so, all these years But later. to have a song from the genesis of writing it to it being on the charts can sometimes take between three to seven, eight years. It has been for me. Do, do you have like, do you have a few nuggets that you know are hits that haven't oh yeah mm -hmm. okay so so i have i have a i have a, a suggestion <laughs> steve's going to be here for women who write um at the end of november on november 28th and we're going to have a keyboard here okay. and i would love for you to play a couple of i would like you to play 
the Kenny Rogers hit, but I would also yeah. like you to play a couple of those nuggets yeah, that I didn't that. quite, that haven't found their home yet, that right. should find their home. Because right. let's let the thousands of people out there that are going to listen to it Absolutely. dictate that somebody should sing right. that song. All right, maybe it'll be out, someone will be out there that wants to cut it. I love that. I love that. Okay, so let's talk about where you come from. So I, I, I was speed reading the book, which I'm, I'm not adept at, but I did, I did catch some things. Queens, and, New York. Um, I was born in Queens. I went to high school in Queens. Where? Um, I went to Newtown. No, I went to Francis Lewis. Okay, not far away. So I read your dad, alcoholic. Did I get that right? Yep. Okay. So, and your mom, Alanonic? What, what was your no, mother's? alcoholic. Also alcoholic. Oh, <laughs> yeah. both sides. Yeah, okay. it, was, it was a beautiful childhood. Um, Only child? No, I have a sister. Older, younger? Oh, I Older, read about yeah. your sister. I'm sorry. I My read that. My sister I... passed away last year. I'm um, so sorry. Yeah. Uh, she was 10 years older than me. Oh. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out... <laughs> Where I came from, I what think, my, I think my parents thought I was from outer space anyway, because I was always singing and humming and banging my head. And, All right, so and, what was the banging the head in the crowd? I, I heard orchestras and music in my head from the time I can remember, even before I can remember. And so I would be... I'm looking at Louise, but it looks like I'm looking at you in Facebook land crazily. It's, um, like, it's like past lives. What, that's, that's, cra that's crazy. Yeah, it's... Um, it's true. I, I uh, and I used to see see music. I used to see colors. It's wow. and it's called. Um, and, and a friend of mine who's a psychiatrist. Um, I wasn't going to him, but mm -hmm. um, he just happens to be a friend, and we were talking about it. Mm -hmm. And um, one night at dinner, and he said, "It sounds like um, you you experience synesthesia." And I said, "What?" And um, He's okay, am I supposed to know what that means? Tell us what no, that means. No, I didn't know what it meant. Okay, it's, what does it mean? It's a cross. I did a lot of research on mm -hmm. it, and sure enough, it's classic for me. It, um, I just assumed everybody did that. You know, when they. Tell us what it is. When I hear music and mm -hmm. I close my eyes, I see the equivalent of um, uh, what. Remember what lava lamps looked like? Yeah, sure. Like plasma bubbles that kind of floated up and down. Mm -hmm. Well, I see them going across and going in, and always, always, not all, not right now. No, but I mean, if you close your eyes and, and listen you're... to music, yeah. And um, and so what? What synesthesia is? It's it's a the way it was explained to me. It's a cross crossing of the senses. So some people, if they taste uh, coffee, mm -hmm. they will, they might, uh, they might start breaking, uh, itching or, or they might start, um, I'm, I'm not explaining this right, if, if they uh, uh, taste coffee, they might see something. It, or, or hear something. Or, or hear something. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's a, it's like a cross Crossing of the senses, and so cross wiring was, of the senses. This was happening to you as an infant. Yeah, as far as yeah. And so were you like Beethoven? So you were like a child prodigy. When did you start creating your own melodies? And when I was very young, three, four. Did yeah. was it recorded? Did you write it down? Did you re do you remember? No, did I could barely crawl up on the piano bench. <laughs> I my mother um, told me I used to go to the piano. Mm -hmm. the piano. My sister would 
take lessons and she would practice like four or five hours a day. Oh, wow. Play the same song over and over. <laughs> was she and, good? No, she was no. horrible. And, <laughs> and um, I would crawl up on the piano bench at mm -hmm. four and play it better than she could. And just from hearing it, and, and I still, I can play anything I hear once. Once I hear it, I can play it. Um, I don't know why that is. I haven't, I don't really care why that is. It just is. And, and, but, but. Do, when, is there anything else that comes that naturally to you? No. It's, that's your thing. Yeah, I can't hang a painting on, on the wall <laughs> straight. Um, no, it was very obvious to me at a, at a young age that this was something that I was meant to do. And, um. Hopefully. Do you believe in that? I mean, I believe in that. Do you totally. believe in that? Uh, yeah, and I, I write about it. I, I kind of manifested um, a lot of what I've uh, done in my life. Um, I, I saw, it, I saw it happening, and I, I, could, I, I knew it was going to happen. I also knew that I also wanted to manifest, you know, hitting home runs out of Yankee Stadium. But <laughs> that didn't work out for me, you know. Um, Can you... Okay, so in your belief system, are you affirming and making it so, or do you think that you're having a self-fulfilling prophecy? Is it a little bit of both? Um, do you think you're walking into your destiny, or you, do you feel like you're creating your destiny, or both? A little of both. Mm -hmm. I believe in both. Because you, you have to put yourself in the right place at mm -hmm. the right time. You, you know, it, uh, there are some happy accidents. Mm -hmm. um, and I've certainly had a bunch of those, and, and uh, but I've also been at the wrong place at the wrong time, and uh, or the wrong place at the right time, which which should have been the right right place, and and so you have to uh, work hard at um, at trying to make your own breaks sometimes, you know. So you're this little kid, you're an infant, there's alcoholism like crazy in your... Is your sister taking care of you? Is somebody taking care no, of she, you? No, not really. Well, my grandmother. Um, my mother until 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. um, I was very close to my mom. Mm -hmm. um, now the truth is, it, it might have been the, uh, the catalyst for me to escape and into my little orchestra in my head because... Uh, um, that's where I. That's where I ran to. That's how did you do it? How How were you as a student? How'd you do in school? Not great. Average, very average. Did any? Did you have any music teachers or anything that encouraged you? And that? No, I was thrown out every music class I ever tried to take. It was. Um, I, I I didn't conform. You know, music is something uh, that. I think at a young age they want you to conform to the way you're supposed to do it. You hear about the child prodigies that practice 10 hours a day piano and they, and they practice and they practice and they le take lessons. I, I couldn't do that. Um, my mother tried to get me lessons when I was, I think. You was, didn't take lessons? No, I've never taken <laughs> Okay, this is getting crazy. So did your, did, so did the music teachers who were trying to teach you, did they realize they were dealing with a prodigy? Did they under, Did they know? Yeah, my did, first piano teacher thought I was a pain in the ass because I told him his time wasn't right. I didn't know the term pocket, but he wasn't playing in the pocket. And, and, um, Louise is a drummer. Oh, and I told him, I, you know, I, I, I said, you know, it, it should kind of 
go like this. And I'd, I'd sure. And, and he, he just kind of dismissed me. He didn't. He didn't <coughs> okay, so you're totally self-taught. Taught. That Bronx, I'm from the Bronx originally, so the Bronx accent. <laughs> okay? Joking. Yeah. Okay. okay, so when does music come out? When is there a song, a composition? When does that happen? Um, it's a good question. I, I think I started writing songs when I was like 13, 14. They were, they were stupid and, you know, really not very good. But I, but I was writing music very early on without really knowing I was writing it. So I, you're I, really a composer. Yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, if I would, uh, I, I tell the story about the first time I was really cognizant that other people didn't naturally react to music the way I did. Where I was having a snowball fight with four or five of my friends and they were all hiding behind big snow drifts. And, mm -hmm. um, I was standing in the middle, getting hit from all sides and musicalizing it. And what? Yeah, I was, I was hearing the whole, I was musicalizing the whole thing. And when, I, when I'd get in the car with my mom, if it was raining and the windshield wipers start, I would just, I'd start hearing all kinds of, you know, music. And of course, we didn't have cell phones where you could sing something into. And uh, so I would just, I would just let it go. So you, you lost a lot of stuff that... Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it was always there. It's always there. Um, still, you know. So so logically, for me, when I um, as I was getting older, I realized that you know, when I would ask my friends, I'd say, "How did how did you hear that?" And they'd look at me like, "What are you nuts?" And um, <laughs> and my mother, I'd ask her, and she, you know, if someone hit a home run at a little league game, I'd be musicalizing the whole thing, you know, and and. Um, uh, is is that? Are you the only one in the universe that that happens to? No, I don't, I don't think so. I, I, uh, I I've never heard of the only you one in my, I'm the only one in my family. But I, I don't know. I, I don't know the process of other composers. Um, uh, I'm sure they, you know, they look. They, well, that's the whole process of writing for film. Mm -hmm. And why? I was gonna say. Why? Why I was so? Why I gravitated to mm -hmm. that? is because it was an extension of what I did in my early life. I, I would, I can look at a piece of film and I hear what, what's supposed to be going on in the underscore before I ever hit, hit the keys on the piano, you know. And so, and whatever you hear, you can translate mm -hmm. to here. Mm -hmm. All right, that's pretty powerful stuff. All right, so, so you're a kid, you have this going on. Your music a lot. Your friends are throwing snowballs at you. You're musicalizing it. You're you're. And I'm getting hit really and hard. And you're getting hit by, really by hard. Frozen ice. Yeah. <laughs> so do your friends think you're weird? Do they think you're kind of strange? Or do they do they accept this about you? A couple of them did. A couple of them accepted it, and we we started a band. Oh, nice. And when I was in junior high, and, uh, and then they threw me out of the band because Why? because they wanted to play covers. And I wanted to write originals. Ooh. Yeah, and um, and the whole band thing wasn't really for me. I, I didn't like hauling instruments. I was kind of a diva. <laughs> <laughs> what what was uh, who were your who were your influences? Because you you, oh, you have a lot of country in your and you're from I was no, I, you're I, from I, I, te I tell people I I, um, I didn't see a tree until I was. 
12, so uh, <laughs> I couldn't spell country music. Um, so how did that happen? You know, I, I don't really ever try to write a country song or a pop song or an R&B song. I just, I just write a song and, and hopefully it fits in a genre. You know, and and uh, and some songs are start Cross out genre. as uh, start out in one genre, and, and the artist who records it kind of puts it in, makes it country. You know, mm -hmm. I have had a lot of success in country, but I think it's because of the the artists that have recorded the songs, not so much that the songs were well country. country songs. Yeah. So okay, so how so let's talk about how this started to happen, how those doors started to open. So at what point did you have your first commercial success. Like, what was okay? So you're in school. You're hearing the music. You're in a band. You get thrown out of the band. You're still. You're hearing music all the time. Did you go to college? Yeah, I did. Where'd you go to school? University of Georgia. Okay, so a little south, a little southern stuff happening there. So yeah, what I do was, you? I was going to be a veterinarian because um, my parents didn't want me playing for tips in a glass when I was fifty. Okay, so you went to school to be a veterinarian. Yeah, that didn't work. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't do very well in chemistry. And, and I, I really just wanted to do music. And, and, um, when uh, did you make that choice? To Day one, when I got to school, I just, you know, I majored in partying and <laughs> uh, football games. And um, yeah, I, I, uh, I wrote songs and um, went to Atlanta where uh, there was a big music publisher and played some stuff for him and he signed me to a, you know, so I would, a couple of days a week I'd cut classes and go into Atlanta and start working in the studio and that, that okay, was the Okay, so what, what the was the early stuff that you were writing? What were you doing at the beginning? Pop songs. Um, just trying to get something recorded, just just writing songs. So how long did it take till a song got recorded? Um, I, I, I had some things being recorded pretty early on. Yeah, and, and uh, I didn't have my first hit until I came to Los Angeles. How old was, when, how old was that, were you then? Uh, I, I came to Los Angeles in 1974. And what was your first hit? First uh, top ten was uh, "Hoppy Jean and Me" by Roy Rogers, the, the singing <laughs> wow. cowboy. I and, love that. Uh, um, yeah, <laughs> I was asked to write that song. It was kind of a goofy song, but when you're asked to do it and they tell you it's going to be recorded by Roy Rogers, who was my boyhood idol. Oh yeah, I said, Saturday sure. morning. Yeah, I I'll think write, it was Saturday morning. Yeah, yeah, I'll write that. But first big hit, the first. Big number one was uh, Every Witch Way But Loose, which was... Yeah. I love that movie. I love that song. Right. I, I think I saw that movie in a drive-in. Um, <laughs> I have good memories. Um, yeah. So, how did... And I, I heard you tell a story about Clint Eastwood on, on a video I was watching today. He wanted to record one of your songs, and so can you tell us that story? And you got a collect... You, you, he wanted to sing a song. Oh, that was later. Yeah, okay. that was after every, every, we had all these hits out of, out of the movie. And, mm -hmm. uh, and Clint um, wanted to sing in the next movie, which was Bronco Billy. Mm -hmm. and, um, 
<laughs> and I said, because Sandra Locke, who was mm -hmm. yeah, a love interest mm -hmm. in, in uh, sang some songs, and, and that those didn't turn out too well. <laughs> so, so, so we had the idea of maybe doing a duet. You know, and how, how about a duet? Wasn't that, but from my what I heard you tell was that was your suggestion to sort of help. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah it was a suggestion, and and uh, we had a pretty cool song that Milton Brown and I wrote called uh, Barroom Buddies. I heard it. I love and, it. Oh, thanks. And and we got Merle Haggard to come in and do a duet with Clinton. It was a big number one, and uh, it was fun. It was fun. Okay, so so you're you're writing songs in Atlanta. You're a couple. Some things are getting recorded. What gives you the impetus to come? What what pushes you to come to LA? Well, I always wanted to come here to do film. I want I wanted to write music. I wanted to score movies. I wanted to do what I'd been doing my whole life. So you really are a composer as opposed to a songwriter. I think I'm both. You are, yeah, but I, I, I don't think and, I know and, and any it, true composers. Well, there have been, I mean, there there have been some great composers that were great songwriters. Uh, uh, Henry Mancini comes to mind, mm -hmm. uh, Marvin Hamlish, mm -hmm. Burt Bacharach, mm -hmm. um, Dave Grusin. Uh, there certainly are some great composers that also, uh, mm -hmm. but it's a, it's a total different Yes. Musical art form. Yes, and, yes, yes. Uh, um, I think because I came early on, my, my life growing up, I was composing music without really understanding what I was doing. Mm -hmm. um, and seeing, and kind of seeing these stranger intervals that the music represented, um, which kind of took the place for me uh, as my education. Because when I did start to learn how to read, because I did at some point want to be able to write mm -hmm. what I what I had been hearing and seeing. So you weren't writing. You didn't read music early. No, no. no now I do. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, um, but I think those early years of, of composing, without re realizing that that's what I was doing, um, helped me uh, when I started writing songs because. Mm -hmm. You know, as a kid, I was listening to the Beatles and the, the whole I was going to say, did you do that? Did no, you? Yeah, the British Invasion, mm -hmm. and I loved theater music, and I loved Broadway songs, and so that I wanted to do that. That's what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And um, But then, after I started to have some success as a songwriter, I kind of gravitated back to that need to want to write for visual. You know, write, write action chases and write... Uh, love scenes and and, uh, and murders and, and and so that that was a big part of my career. Did you ever do that when you were a kid? Did you ever like sit down at the piano when like the TV was on and like? I did. And score. I, did. I could well, just see you doing yeah, that. Yeah, not not so much to mm -hmm. the TV, mm -hmm. but but I would visualize scenes in my head mm -hmm. and and without even knowing what I was doing, I would be if it was dark or sinister, I would uh, I would hear hear it before I could play it. So it would make it e easier for me to play it. Okay, so now how does it, okay, so you, 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 you're writing some songs that get, that get published and that get produced. You come out to LA, what happens when you get here? How, does it, how long does it take you, how do you find well, your Well, I, I was brought out here. I, I, I was brought out here by a, a man named Snuff Garrett, who was a, a, a 
very successful record producer. Mm -hmm. And um, as a song, so he brought you out here as a songwriter. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, it's kind of a long story. I came out uh, knocking on doors for a couple of weeks uh, before, and he, on my last day here, I knocked on his door, and um, and it was kind of a magical being at the right place at the right time. And he, he brought me out, and um, uh, I had a six-month-old baby, and uh, brought brought me out, and uh, we uh, and, and I wrote for him and started arranging, and he really gave me my my start in terms of opening doors and giving me a platform to do what I did. So, what what, what was the first? Um, what was the first film that you what was the first scoring that you did? Well, Clint gave mm -hmm. me my first opportunity because he loved the song, mm -hmm. and he asked me. He, I remember him asking me um, right after I played the song. He said uh, we were all talking. He said, uh, "Have you ever scored a movie?" And of course, I was just about to say no, mm -hmm. and then I said, "Don't say no. Mm -hmm. Just say." I would love to. That's why I came to California. And so he said, good. Good answer. You, you'll do this one. And, uh, and that was my first, uh, I didn't know what I was so doing. So he gave it, he gave you that opportunity based, I believe, also on his instincts. Oh, yeah. Trusting that. Um, Clint knows what he's doing. Yeah, Clint yeah. knows what he's doing. So, okay, so you scored that. That was your first film. That was quite a film. And then I did five with Clint. And, uh, and from that, I branched out to television and started getting, you know, success in, in show business. Any form of show business breeds success. And and so you kind of get on a roll and you get get a hot streak going and all of a sudden the phones are lighting up. And, and so I was getting some really good opportunities. And, um, and have continued to... Um... Yeah, it's been, it's been a great ride. I'm still... Uh, Still rocking. So what what are you doing currently? What, what's what's your anything that you're passionate about? Do you there's something theater. Yeah, with I, have you. A, I have a show uh, hopefully going to Broadway next year, and I'm getting ready to write another one. And uh, I'm uh, I just finished a film uh, that'll be out next year with uh, Ray Liotta and the girl from uh, Game of Thrones. I forget her name. She's amazing. I've never seen an episode of Game of Thrones. Yeah. I'm embarrassed to even admit that, but it's true. So but I've I got, love Ray Liotta. I've got that coming out uh, mm -hmm. next year. And, and What's, can you tell us anything about the show? Uh, it's called Josephine. It's the Josephine Baker story. Oh. And um, set in 1939 to 1945, occupied uh, Nazi-occupied Paris. Wow. Wow. Do you do you have do you have the do you have her? Is she cast? Deborah Cox do it out of town, mm -hmm. and we're we're waiting to see what happens. That's very exciting. My daughter's at Tisch, and all she wants to do is Broadway musicals. Yeah, so my daughter is graduating high school this year and, and doing um, musical theater. That's she's applying right now. Mm -hmm. Oh, we went skills. through all of that. That yeah. was so much fun. That's what I'm going through right now. <laughs> yeah, all yes, the auditions and the it, yeah. and I, yeah, that right. it was crazy making. Yeah, it was absolutely crazy. But 
Everybody, I believe, and the kids all end up where they're supposed to be. Yeah. My daughter could not be happy. Yeah, my daughter wants to go to New York, Pace, or Syracuse. Or, so we'll see. Um, what, is she still in the application? What, what month yeah. are we? Oh, yeah, so she's. I'm just going right to put this out there because Samantha pointed this out to me. Every year there's a list that comes out of the actors that are currently on Broadway at any given time and what schools they came from. Mm -hmm. And in, in truth, NYU is about um, 10 to 1 of any other school, including Carnegie Mellon, Juilliard, really? of Michigan. People on Broadway, yeah, like 10 to 1 in white, they come from Tisch. Yeah. If for Broadway, they, they don't have as good a ratio at all for, you know, go to Yale if you want to be in film right. or whatever. But for Broadway, yeah, right. it's, um, it's... Well, we'll see. I, yeah. I have high hopes for her. She's very talented. I have no, okay, so you have, how is it that you have all of these talented children? I'm, well, I, were your parents musical? No. Do you know where it comes from? With grandparents, anything? I, I don't. I, I, I heard her. Milkman? <laughs> Maybe. Um, no, I, I heard that uh, way back, way back, way back, there was a great, great, great grandfather who who composed music for uh, uh, for the church? I don't know. You know, who knows? Okay, so somehow though, your genes did get passed down to your children—an actor son, a composer son, a daughter going into music. You have two daughters, yes? I have two daughters, two boys. Yeah. So the the other daughter is she also performing? No, my other daughter, her thing is uh, animals. Dogs, maybe. Yeah, she she's uh, out of school, and school wasn't her thing, and mm -hmm. so she works at uh, at a uh, uh, a very high end uh, animal uh, spa and daycare center. <laughs> so that's her thing. Mm -hmm. And then my little one is graduating high school, and then uh, uh, Stephen, my oldest, mm -hmm. is a successful actor. Yes, he is. Music guy. Mm -hmm. He's uh, my son Andrew, who so unfortunately passed away uh, this past year, um, was a, a tremendous a, success. Amazing songwriter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, all, was he also a composer, or was he? No, lyrics, lyricist. Okay, so that's another thing I wanted to ask you. So, when you're writing a song, I assume the music you hear the music first. Yes. And then, so writing lyrics, uh, and, and you you you're a very emotional. Your songs are, they're fucking deep is what they are. <laughs> they are, you dig deep. So, um, did you write poetry? Did no, actually, I, I have to give credit to, to the lyricists and the very, very talented. Do you uh, always work with a lyricist? No, not always, but 90% um, of the time. Okay. Um, not because I don't like writing my mm -hmm. own lyrics, but I, I it's a totally separate talent, mm -hmm. and and to do the kinds of songs that that I love to write, I love working with uh, guys that really know how to turn a phrase or come up with that fresh way of saying the same old thing we all write about. Because at the end of the day, we're writing about breaking up, <laughs> what making is the up, thing about being in love, <laughs> hating someone. Uh, I mean, you know how many. That's yeah. what it's all about. So, how do you find, how have you happened upon your collaborators? Um, hmm. 
you know, just just through the process of... How did it start? What well, started with Milton Brown when I was in, in Atlanta. I was mm -hmm. writing 100% of all my songs, music and lyrics. And the publisher there mm -hmm. um, one day uh, pulled me aside and said, uh, you know, I've got this guy from Mobile, Alabama who's writing brilliant lyrics but horrible melodies. <laughs> And you're writing really good melodies, but your lyrics are, eh. And uh, maybe, have you ever thought about maybe writing, co-writing? Mm -hmm. And I said, I, I haven't. Mm -hmm. um, and so he put us together, and we started writing, and 40 years later, we're still writing songs together. Wow. And so when I moved to California, I started to meet other great songwriters, mm -hmm. and, and invariably, the conversation would come up, hey, let's try one together. And, and so by trial and error, you write, you write some, and some of the collaborations don't work. So do you know it's right like, away? It's like having sex with someone. It's either great chemistry or it's not, you know, and, it, and it's the same with writing songs. Um, um, I've sat in a room with very talented songwriters where mm -hmm. we just stare at each other. It just isn't, the art's not there. And then I've written with uh, some of my favorite people that... Uh, where the songs just write themselves, you know. It is like sex because you do, but, and, but that, but don't you? Th I think, like I know, I I can almost always tell by looking at somebody if they're going to be a good kisser, right? You just like you know that <laughs> shit, right? And you just a chemistry is chemistry, and that electricity happens, sort of. So. Yeah, it's the same thing. I mean, you know, you know, I, I know within. You know. I know within five minutes if this is going to be a waste of time, or let's go have lunch, or hey, let's really, let's rock this. And 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 in the book, I mm -hmm. um, I talk about that a lot. There's a couple of chapters just on on collaboration and and when it's right and when it's not right. And so, does the music always come first? No, no, no. Um, depending on who the collaborator is, mm -hmm. if he's a pure lyricist. Sometimes he'll want to write to a melody. I've written with some lyricists where the the lyric comes first, and I do the music to the lyric. Through the years was, uh, in fact, every, just about every song I've ever written with Marty Panzer uh, has been lyric first, and so I, I I write to him. Okay, so now I want to understand how this happens. So, through the years, that, that I listened to that about a hundred times today, like different variations of it because um, there are there's lots of videos um, so he writes these words mm -hmm. and you as what's the problem okay you look at the words well, we, we wrote through the years in 12 minutes what the reason it's not 13 or 15 or 11 and, and you know I yeah. know because um, and we joke about it a lot Marty came over for dinner. Um, as he always does, he pulls a finished lyric out of a brown manila envelope and he reads it to me. And I, he read me this lyric. And does he read it to you as poetically? Yes, he reads it as if he's performing it, but he's speaking it. Right, and, and, he does, and it doesn't have a rhythm yet. Or no, does it's it? got nothing, he, he just reads the lyric. And, and I was just, staring at him because his delivery is so bizarre <laughs> and um, you got to know Marty and um, and I remember yelling into my wife at the time how long 
till dinner's ready because he came over for dinner. And, and she said, oh, about 12, 15 minutes, and I grabbed the piece of paper, and I started hearing, hearing what it was going to be before I got to the piano. By the time we got to the piano, I just banged it out. We made a few little... Even like with the bridge and everything? There is no bridge. There's no bridge in that song? No, in okay. fact, the, the, the hardest part of that song is the chorus has three different sets of, of, of lyrics. And to this day, I can't remember all of that. <laughs> I have to use a, a cheat sheet. Um, but yeah, we wrote that song in, in uh, 12 minutes because we got to the table three minutes before dinner was ready. <laughs> and um, yeah, but I mean, they hey, Okay, now that one, you have to know. You have to know we have a hit. Do you know that? I don't know. If, uh, no, I've stopped, no, I've stopped predicting if they're hits. Cause but that I, was early. I, I knew it was a really good one. Mm -hmm. I know it was a, it was an important one. Did you did you ever write a song and know with certainty as it came out? Yes, that that's that's what that is. That's a hit. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I think mm -hmm. so. But it but it hasn't always panned out that way. Right, well. right. Those are the ones I want you to play for us. That's yeah, that's the exciting. ones I think are my best work, or, or they should be hits. And and, uh, and then there's some that uh, that I thought would be hits that weren't. You know, and some that I thought were fluff that became big hits. Like what? What surprised you? I mean, Coca-Cola Cowboy. <laughs> you know, who, you know we, I remember Sandy Pinkard playing me, uh, songwriter, he played me this. He's working on this song, Coca-Cola Cowboy, and uh, he needed a verse. And I had, came up with this augmented thing that was kind of really left-handed for especially for country music, and uh, we wrote it, and uh, I didn't think, you know, I thought, it's cute, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, you're just a Coca-Cola cowboy, you got Eastwood hair, no, you got uh, an Eastwood smile and Robert Redford hair, but mm -hmm. you walked across my heart like it was Texas, and you taught me how to say I just don't care, <laughs> and I'm thinking, what does that mean? <laughs> and, uh, and Mel Tillis records it, and yeah. it becomes... Maybe arguably one of his most signature songs of ever of all, you know. Okay, so now how does um, how did the Whitney and, and Barbara and Willie and how, did, is somebody doing that stuff for you or like? <laughs> I wish. Okay, no. so how is that happening? You know, it's again, it's just doing it. It's just being being in the business and and. I always tell song, young songwriters, you know, having a great song is half the battle. It's mm -hmm. what to do with it after you have it. So what do you do with it after you have you it? You do whatever you, whatever you. What do you do after you have it? I. I this is what the road taken is yeah, about. Is I like generally, really you know, you I've it. always tried to get to the artist, uh, either through a producer um, or through a friend of the artist or the bus driver of the artist, whatever it takes um, to get that demo to the ears of the artist, because ultimately the artist is who's going to How did you get through the years to Kenny Rogers? Um, you'll have to read the book. Okay, <laughs> I, I, I can't wait to read the book. How much time do we have? We have a little bit. We, okay, so, so Whitney, how'd you get to Whitney? So we have to, we have to read the book to get these stories. Okay, so give us one story. Uh, Great story I love to tell is uh, Eric Kaz and I wrote wrote a song called I Cross My Heart. Um, and Bette Midler recorded it. And 
we were told, dust off your mantle. This is an award winner. Um, Bet did not put it out. She, it wasn't. It wasn't a great marriage between a song and an artist. Mm. We'd written the song like a boys to men, almost R and B flavored thing. Mm -hmm. I played that song for everyone I knew, mm -hmm. including my mother, mm -hmm. for eight years, and everybody reacted the same way. They all pretty much said, "You know, it's nice. It's not one of your best." So I went to my mom, and mm -hmm. I, because I, I knew she loved everything. Mm -hmm. I said, hey, I want to play a new song. She said, okay. I sat down and played the song. She said, eh, it's not one of your best. Um, so uh, years later, about eight years later, I got a chance to play for a director for a film I was doing the music to, Pure mm -hmm. Country. Mm -hmm. And um, I was hired as the composer. But he was looking for a song for this specific love song, love scene and at the end of the movie, and I tried writing a couple things, but nothing was, you know, working. And uh, uh, he called me one night, Chris Kane was his name, great mm -hmm. director, and, and he said, I need that song. And I said, he said, do you have anything that maybe, you, you know? I said, you know, I got one song, uh, let me play it for you. And thinking he's gonna say, eh, not one of your best. So I played for him, he loved it. He said, that's the perfect song for that film. Perfect song for that scene. So we went down to Nashville, and um, I played it for uh, for George Strait, and um, George was kind of lukewarm on it in the <laughs> beginning. Um, not one, not really. Yeah, too many chords. The bridge kind of because again we wrote it kind of you know it had a lot of pop changes. Mm -hmm. It was not a George Strait mm -hmm. country song. He had to kind of own it and make it that and to his credit he did mm -hmm. and it became uh, CMT voted it the ninth greatest country love song ever written. I was I was listening um, to that today. <laughs> which, which is funny because Kaz and I wrote it as uh, a boys to men kind of R&B thing so uh, um, it's just crazy. It would be really interesting to, to have somebody cover it that way the way you envisioned it. Yeah, yeah, the original demos like that. It, every once in a while, I'll listen to it and say, "God, no, this was really grooving back then." You know, but the way George did it, it was great. And of course, it was in a big movie, and and George is the king of country music, mm -hmm. and uh, it was just one of those perfect marriages, you know. That and that's that's the other key to to being successful, I think, as a songwriter is is finding that. The right, marrying the right song to the right artist, and that doesn't always happen. Is there somebody that you haven't written with yet, that haven't written for yet, that really excites you that you would like to? Sure, you know I'd love love Taylor Swift to do one of my songs. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> um, now a lot of these artists, you have to write write it with them, and there's mm -hmm. certainly some artists that I look forward to maybe getting the opportunity to write with. So you, a recent Blake Shelton is, um, you've written with Blake? I haven't written with him, but he recorded a duet of mine with uh, Barbara Streisand. And, That's a uh, pretty nice place to yeah, be. That was, that was a good So what's song. it like having Barbara do your song? Oh, it's, huh. it doesn't get any better than that. Wow. And so it, are you, do you have a collaborative process with, have you, I mean, I know you she's recorded. She's recorded three of mine, and we're hoping a fourth coming up. 
Do you, are you ever like in the room where it happens kind of thing with Barbara? No. 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 Uh-uh. She doesn't let anybody in the no. room when she sings. It's just her producers and uh, and sometimes she does vocals on her own in, in her house and, and then uh, I did Blake's vocal um, and then uh, and then we you know do the back and forth thing where. She'll sing to him, he'll sing to her. And, uh, um, but, you know, there, there's levels of celebrity. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's Streisand, Sinatra, and the Beatles. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I, I was a little bit late to the Sinatra game, but I did get Ringo and I got Barbara, so... Uh, Ringo, so, so, so was Ringo, is Ringo also removed from the process in that way? No, I... I Produced Ringo. And, uh, it was pretty. <laughs> what was that uh, like? Very surreal. And, yeah. Um, pushing the talk back button down and saying, uh, "Can we do that again, Ringo?" It's <laughs> like, shit, did I just really say that? <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, that was that was really fun. Um, that was a great story. So you've gotten to live a lot of dreams. I really have. I, I and I talk about that. I, I all the artists that that I grew up watching on TV that I worshipped, that, that I would have killed to to write a song for, uh, Dusty Springfield, um, Anthony Newley, uh, you know, Ringo, the, you know, it's uh, Bill Medley of the Righteous Brothers. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, to, to get to work with your heroes is, uh, is pretty pretty special you know pretty special which is I get to do it this way and yeah. um, uh, so so is there so you've written a book mm-hmm. you're doing a Broadway musical mm-hmm. um, you have a new movie coming out mm-hmm. are you still passionate about what you do um, as much as ever love that is it ever, is it ever, I mean, okay, so you talk about all of this ease that you have and how you always have this music. Is it ever, are you ever tasked to compose and it's hard? You hit a wall? Do you ever hit a wall? No, you know. Damn I it! I, oh my God! You know, I, I've heard about writer's block <laughs> for so many years and I always think, what is that? I, I, no, I, I, I never have. Now, this year, uh, the 2017 has been, uh, after what happened to Andrew, mm. my son, uh, last Christmas, um, he passed away, a tragic accident, mm. and uh, I didn't, I didn't write for uh, a good six months. I just, I just, I had nothing to write about, um, and I was working on the book and and trying to finish that and trying to learn the ropes of what it's going to be to actually do this. It's like a whole different. Thing that mm-hmm. I'm not used to, and um, uh, but I, I started writing about a month and a half ago, and uh, uh, feel like really I, that that recently. Yeah, feel mm-hmm. like uh, I've written a couple of really good songs, and uh, I've already. It looks like a big artist is going to do one, and uh, I don't like to talk about mm-hmm. them before before they're done. Mm-hmm. But I did get some great news yesterday. I don't know if you heard about it, but I was nominated for the 
Songwriters Hall of Fame. No, wow. I did not. Yeah. Congratulations. Just, uh, wow. kind of, uh, That's pretty. Yeah, pretty, it's, pretty good. It's the. Um, it's what every I think songwriter dreams about. It's it's for me. It's the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, and and uh, we'll see what happens. You know, um, to get to get on the ballot and to be nominated is is just a, an amazing honor. So. That is that is so thrilling. My friend Ricky Bird uh, was a Blackheart, and they were nominated uh, for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame year, and, and they kept losing, and they kept losing, and, they, and, and then they 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 were inducted, yeah. and a couple of years ago, and yeah. um, that that process of not of getting close and then not, and then getting. No, well, although we're, we're hoping that doesn't happen. I cannot yeah. see that that <laughs> is going to happen. Well, you never, you, you never. You, know. But of course, you never know. But that's really exciting. But you're you're. You're in a very niche. I mean, uh, uh, we've inter we've had a lot of songwriters, um, mm -hmm. and I don't know that we've ever had a really true composer before. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it's a, a, a very small group of you that exist in that world that can yeah. really do that. Um, so even when you, so when you're scoring a film or you're coming up, how about the theme song for a television show? Does that also what, do you watch it well, first? Was, yeah, how how does that stuff happen? Yeah, the, you know, most known for Growing Pains, theme from Growing and Pains. And I know you did Murphy Brown, which... I did Murphy Brown, I did Spencer for Hire, uh, Murder, She Wrote, uh, Columbo. Okay, so how do those happen? Um, being hired to do the whole project. Right. Uh, in the case of Growing Pains, it's kind of a fun story. Mm -hmm. You'll have to read the book. No, um, <laughs> I got asked to uh, meet with the producers mm -hmm. and, and uh, go see a pilot. Mm -hmm. And I went and watched 22 minutes of mm -hmm. TV of a TV show by myself in a dark room, and I'm thinking, eh, you know, Alan Thick, who's a, was a dear friend of mine. Oh, um, who then was here. no, but uh -huh. I, I knew Alan mm -hmm. was in it, and, uh -huh. and it was kind of it was it was kind of mindless sitcom, you know, mm -hmm. and I thought, oh, yeah, it's cute. Mm -hmm. Met with the producers, they all told me kind of what they were hearing in the theme and in the flavor of the music, and they all kind of wanted a different element, and I went home thinking, this isn't necessarily going to get on the air, um, doesn't really matter what I write. So I went home, and uh, John Bettis, my uh, a lyricist I've written a ton of stuff with over the years. I love John and uh, John was sitting, um, we were meeting me at home because mm -hmm. we were going to finish a song that we had started and I said, can we write this thing really quick? I've got to, uh, they want me to, they want to hear something tomorrow or he said, yeah, what is it? And I told him it's his family and his kids and he's a doctor and she's a working mom and yada 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 and I said and it's called Growing Pains he said well that title's not going to fly as a song <laughs> he said it sounds more like as long as we got each other and I said oh yeah I love that John you know John wrote the lyric like he was writing the the, the Pledge of Allegiance I mean it was just you know I sat down at the piano uh, yeah, 30 seconds over now we had it in about I don't know 15-20 minutes and the next next day, I called the guys and I said, "Yeah, I've been, I didn't get any sleep. I spent hours writing this thing, but I hope you'll like it." And they came over, and all of a sudden, I saw them coming over 
up the walkway to my house and I'm thinking, shit, I didn't do anything they asked me to do in this song. It's totally not anything like what they asked me. <laughs> and um, Like elements they wanted in the song? Yeah, the, uh -huh. uh, one wanted it kind of, it was a fan of Pat Metheny, the mm -hmm. other one wanted John Sebastian, mm -hmm. the other, you know, it was mm -hmm. like Latin percussion, <laughs> I, you know. I said, yeah, 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 okay. And uh, I sat down and I, I started to play the song for them live because there was no time to demo it. And mm. they were all standing behind me and I'm thinking, oh shit, this is gonna be a disaster. <laughs> and I finished the song and I'm afraid to turn around and I, I look up slowly and they're all smiling and they go, that's exactly what we wanted. <laughs> wow. And, um, and so that was... Uh, that's pretty fantastic. That was, yeah, that was a good one. And then the show ran for eight years, which shows how much I know about television. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, the name did okay for them, served them pretty well. Yeah, that was, it was, uh, that was a fun show to do, it really was. So you, you scored the shows as well? I did as every episode you, you did for eight every seasons. Episode. Did every episode. That has to be a great gig for a composer. Oh, yeah. I, was doing, I had five shows on the air at one time. I How was, do you do that? Uh, <laughs> um, lots of coffee. Um, no, I was doing Spencer for Hire, I was doing uh, My Sister Sam, uh, Growing Pains, Just the Ten of Us, uh, Major Dad, I think I was doing at that time. Jesus. Yeah, it was crazy. And then so you're just going from one people. set to another? That's all I did. Oh my That's all God. I did for about, for about eight years was uh, I'd, go, I'd be in the studio scoring one show going to over to Fox to do another show, going over to Sony to do another show, then going home, spotting the next week's episode. Um, it was it was like being on a, um, a treadmill that you couldn't get off. And oh. when, when Spencer for Hire, which was the toughest show to do, because I used a 30, 30 piece orchestra every week, um, so it was a, there was and there was a lot of music and it was action adventure chases and um, and there's really no shortcuts because uh, we had to put the stuff out to copyists and and so when that show was canceled after the third season it was almost like <laughs> it was like a vacation you know I mean I, it was sad because mm -hmm. you, they're kind of like they become like little families sure. all these shows. So okay, so we're we're kind of over, but I, I have I have a couple I have another question for you. This this show is what called, happens if it goes over? No, we we could just go over. We can oh. when I'm in the studio, we don't have that option, but since we're here, we can. No. So there's not another show coming in mm -hmm. to, to record, so we're okay. Um, but I I this is the show is called the Road Taken, and it's celebrity maps of success, like how you did it, and I think you've really done that for us. But I oh we oh Liz and I like at the end of every show. For, for the people out there to have a takeaway. Oh, sure. And usually we do it, we, when we used to be in the studio and we used to do audio podcasts, we would have our guests go away and then we would discuss what we thought the takeaway for them is. But you're here. And so we get the benefit of you telling us, what do you think, all right, aside from the fact that you're a prodigy and you're brilliant and you have all the music in your head, what do you, do you have like a secret to your success? Is there, is there something are there tools that, that you think have served you that you can share that might work for other people who don't necessarily have the music in their head all the time and aren't geniuses, but a work, is there a work ethic that you yeah. can share? Yeah, I, I, I work really hard at what I do. I, I, 
I knew I had a gift. Mm -hmm. um, and if there's one thing that my dad imparted on me was uh, people, people that are given gifts, that's great, but you have to be obligated to it. Mm -hmm. um, and I always, that always stuck for me. I, always, I like that. You have to be obligated to yeah, the gift. I've always, and I always have. I always have taken that very seriously. I, uh, um, I think uh, part of the process of, of being a creative person is coming up with, with good music or, or good whatever it is you do. Mm -hmm. But the other part is being able to work with people. Mm -hmm. Know how to read them. Mm -hmm. You know, some people are easier to please than others. Mm -hmm. and some people are easier to get along with than others, and so you have to kind of walk that tightrope. Are you? Or do you? Stay I'm always with, easy to get along with. And, no, and <laughs> do, I mean, do you stay with? Are you easy to get along with? Yeah. And do you stay with it? Like, if somebody's tough. Will you find a way in? Well, yeah, and, and trying, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if the project's important enough, and if mm -hmm. you, I've only maybe had one or two projects in all the years where I just said to myself, you know, this is not gonna work. Mm -hmm. I felt like, uh, you know, I really run into a brick wall, and, and it was pointless because uh, I, they weren't going to get the best of me, and I certainly wasn't going to get the best of them. And unless you're getting the best of each other, there's what's the point? So you walked away. Mm -hmm. So, so say 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 that your father's words again. Respect the gift. Is it respect? Not being obligated. Be, being to the obligated gift. to the gift. So, do you have? A social life? Do you do you have leisure time? Do you take leisure time? Not, not since my daughters have been living with me twenty four seven for the mm -hmm. last seven years. I, I uh, yeah, you know, I, I do a lot with them, mm -hmm. with my kids, and uh, um, I'm, I'm being a, I take being a dad very seriously, um, mm -hmm. and always have, and uh, um, yeah, that's uh, so. So you should you go to school plays and you oh, yeah, and you do all the dad stuff. Do all that stuff. You do all the dad stuff, yeah. so you have your life. Well, I um, do you have a guilty pleasure. We haven't done this in a really long time, but I, I want to do it with you. Do you have a guilty pleasure? Is there anything that that you love that turns you on that you're a little embarrassed about? Anything that you listen to, that you watch, that you eat, that you do? Probably, but I don't think we should talk about that. <laughs> and, and one last question that I have. So you come from addiction. I, I, I'm an addict in recovery. I have a lot of years under my, a number of years. Did, did the alcoholism affect you? No. It did not? Um, no, I, I, uh, I was the one person that it kind of went right off. Oh, my, my sister, my sister was an alcoholic. Um, both my parents, mm -hmm. uh, and I—I uh, I can't stand the taste of scotch. I maybe, you know, or you know, I'll have a glass of wine with dinner, mm -hmm. maybe two times a week. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I've I've never uh, never done drugs. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think I was too focused mm -hmm. on. Uh, you you know, know th this is it. You know, like there's no way you could have done what you've done. If you were getting high, that just would not work. No, it just would not work. Yeah, no. and I and I never. 
that just wasn't my thing. Just wasn't my thing. I was certainly a lot of a lot of the great musicians and a lot of the great amazing people I've I've been so blessed to have worked with have had issues, and it just uh, you know that's their thing, and 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 I respect that, and mm -hmm. uh, you know. Well, I like that it's not yours, and uh, because it's not, we get all that music, and we also get, I wrote that one too, A Life in Songwriting from Willie to Whitney, which is out now. You can get it on Amazon. It's in bookstores now, yeah. as, of, as of yesterday. Yeah. And uh, Steve's going to be out there. You're going to be at Barnes & Nobles all over the place. So we're yeah, I'm actually going on a book tour. I start, uh, I start Friday. I'm doing the Taxi Rally here in Los Angeles, which is a big music convention. Then I get on a plane and I start an 11 city uh, book tour. So um, tell us where you're going, so people. Going to Atlanta. I'm going to uh, Philadelphia. I'm going to Cherry Hill, New Jersey, Fort Lauderdale, Miami, Boca, uh, <laughs> Naples, Orange Beach, in Florida, Houston, Dallas, and then home for Thanksgiving. It sounds wonderful. Are you gonna do a reading in LA? Uh, we're gonna do. We're just planning a couple of events here in LA for the week after Thanksgiving, and um, one of them is going to be in this living room. So, oh, right, right, so right. Steve Dorf is, is going to be here on Tuesday, November twenty eighth, and he's going to hopefully read us a little piece, tell us some stories, and play a few songs. Yeah, and I think I'm doing a thing on on Wednesday the 29th that just got booked today. Okay. In Hollywood, and then I'm Shh. I'm doing. Uh, I'm going to do book soup in mm -hmm. January. Book soup's um, fun. And then, yeah, and then we'll see what next year brings. All right, well, next year's going to bring a movie, a Broadway musical, and uh, and a lot more, I'm sure. So uh, thanks so much for doing thanks this. Thanks for having me. It's and uh, we'll see you next Wednesday on The Road Taken.